0: Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Welcome back, cardio nerds. Thanks so much for joining us for this powerful narrative session where we get to hear about the future advancements in the field of structural interventional cardiology From the unique vantage point of Dr. Samir Kapadia, be sure to stick around for an important message from Dr. Kenny Graywall, the governor of the Ohio ACC State Chapter.
1: We would like to thank Drs. Katie Berlacher and Nosheen Riza for their mentorship in this narratives project, as well as Dr. Pamela Douglas for inspiring us to create the narrative series in the first
0: place. Remember, everyone, Nerds is an independent, fellow-founded educational platform with a mission to democratize cardiovascular education. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. You can claim free CME credit using the link in the episode description, and relevant speaker disclosures and amazing show notes are available on the episode show page. If you find the show helpful, please do help others find the show by rating and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app. And now, friends, let's get nerdy.
1: Hey, CardioNerds, welcome back for a very special discussion today as part of the Pennsylvania ACC Cardio Nerds Narratives and Cardiology series designed to promote diversity and inclusion in cardiology because our differences make us stronger. As you know, for the series, we invite inspiring experts to tell us about their professional areas of passion and their personal journeys. And we have a truly remarkable individual to learn from today. But first, let's set the stage. Here on Air Force Cardinals, we are homebound to Cleveland to enjoy this beautiful Midwest fall with my co-host. And speaking of which, Dan, as we approach the runway at the cleveland Burke Lakefront Airport, what's the weather like
0: tonight? Well, um, I have to say it's a beautiful sunny fall day. You could see the wonderful foliage turning wonderful colors as we coast right above Lake Erie with a high of 60 and a low of 49 degrees Fahrenheit. So as we hit the tarmac, let's bring on our amazing co-pilots, Dr. Zarina Sharalaya and Dr. Simrat Kaur. Zarina is a senior interventional cardiology fellow at the Cleveland Clinic. She is a tried and true cardio nerd and has been a leader for the Narratives in Cardiology series. Zarina, welcome back.
2: Thanks, Dan. It's always such a pleasure to hang out with the nerds. This particular session is such an honor for us, and we get to learn from one of our greatest role models and mentors. But before we get there, I am thrilled to welcome for the first time, Dr. Simrith Kaur. She is a first year general cardiology fellow at Cleveland Clinic. Simrith, thanks so much for joining us. And could you please can, introduce yourself?
3: Sure. Hi, notes. My name is Simrath, originally from Punjab, India, where I spent most of my life before moving to US. I completed my internal medicine training at Cleveland Clinic, and now I'm a newly minted general cardiology fellow at CCF, still navigating my way through several realms of cardiology. Lastly, a very special welcome to Dr. Samir Kapadia, who is the chief of Robert and Suzanne Thompson Department of Cardiovascular Medicine, Seidel and Arnold Miller family, Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. He's among the pioneers of structural interventional cardiology, with special interest in aortic mitral and tricuspid valve interventions. Dr. Kapadia, welcome to CardioNerds.
4: Oh, thank you very much. First of all, I'm so proud and honored to be part of this Cardio nerd presentation, and I'm so happy to see Amit and Dan doing this incredible work, and particularly both of you joining in this incredible meeting. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm very excited, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about this incredible question that you're going to ask me one by one.
3: Let's get started. So Dr. Kapadia, after completing your training with honors from NHL Municipal Medical College in Gujarat, India, you started your journey in the United States as an international medical graduate. You completed your residency in Baylor School of Medicine, where you were awarded outstanding resident and eventually pursued training in both general and interventional cardiology at the Cleveland Clinic. Being an international medical graduate myself, I had to face several challenges, which included earning a residency and fellowship training position in the United States, which were quite different from my American colleagues who had graduated from the U.S. How did you traverse the path as an international graduate with limited opportunities to the chairman of Cleveland Clinic Cardiology?
4: So first and foremost, I, I would not say that I had limited opportunities. I think the very important thing for all international medical graduates and for everybody for that matter. It is important to recognize that the opportunities are what you perceive not what others perceive right so when you when you come to to united states i felt that oh my god you know there's so many opportunities and to be honest with you nobody in the united states discriminates people you know this is one of the only countries one of the only places where you can be from anywhere and you can enjoy and be proud of a person from a different culture different place different Perspective, and this was the main thing that you know. Whenever I went to any institution, any place, I was proud uh, of being what I am, and I could enjoy the different opportunities that people could provide me. So during the entire journey, I never felt that I was anywhere handicapped or anything like that, I even close to that. Second thing is that whenever I came to any institution, when I went to select that what I want to do, the most important thing to me was. Who are the people that I'm going to work with? So if I connected with people, if I liked them, uh, this was the most important thing for me. So when I interviewed for, say, medicine residency, I came from India and I didn't want to go to the cold places. So I interviewed only in Texas and that's about it and Atlanta, to be honest. So three, four places I interviewed and I loved Dr. Hamill. One of the, Ed Lynch was my program director. He was an ID specialist, but like a fatherly figure, when I met him, I, Really, really enjoyed it. So I, I told him that you know if I had an opportunity to work with him, I would do it. And that was it. So he said okay, and I joined Baylor. And the same thing happened to me with Dr. Doug Mann. Doug Mann was young; he just moved from Mass General to VA Hospital in Houston, and he didn't. He had a lab, and he was doing some research. Uh, and it was not so important that what research he was doing. So I, you know, I met him, and I liked him. So I said, you know, I want to spend time with you. And so this was another, you know, a great opportunity for me because to know him. But at the same time, it was the person I, to be honest, did not care what exactly he was doing. And he was doing some cytoskeleton research, to be honest. And while reading, we wanted to do TNF-alpha research. So we did TNF-alpha research. And then same way, I met with Dr. Eric Topol. And Dr. Topol, it was really funny because I came to Cleveland I interviewed with him. Uh, he says, Samir, what do you want to do?" I said, "You know, I love everything. I like echo, cath lab, to be honest." And I said, "Maybe I'll do echo because uh, this is what uh, is non-invasive and can can have a lot of different people affected. I can find it out." He said, "Sure." He liked me. He says, "Okay, I will rank." You know, this was the time when there were no emails or no letters or anything. So I called him. I said, "Dr. Topol, I'm very interested in." after I finished my interviews. So he said, okay, I'll take you. I said, you know, would you mind writing a letter? So he says, why, you don't trust me or something? I said, no, (laughs) I trust you. I will rank you high. And uh, that's about it. And then I joined the clinic and I wanted to do echo. I worked with him. He called me one day and said that, you know, Samir, I'm writing a book. Can you write a book chapter? I said, no expert in cardiology. You know What book chapter do you want me to write? He said, why don't you write? about cardiac trauma. I said, my God, cardiac trauma. You know, I have never even seen cardiac trauma. How am I going to write cardiac trauma? He said, no, no, come on. You can write it. I'll help you. So I went to see Dr. Lytle and said that Dr. Lytle, you know, can you, he's a cardiac surgeon, Cleveland. He says, I said, Dr. Lytle, can you help me to understand a little bit of cardiac trauma? He says, the only trauma that I saw is the one that the cardiologists inflict. This is Cleveland Clinic and we don't have trauma from the emergency room. I said, my God, you know, this is a this is a problem. So I go back to Doctor Topol. I said, my Doctor Topol, this is what I, I got from Doctor Lytle. He said, why did you go to see Doctor Lytle? I said, I, I don't know. He said, write it. You know, you read and write. So we wrote, and the reason why he wanted me to write is because some surgeon wrote the book chapter. He didn't like it. So the deadline was one week. So we wrote the book chapter, and he was the author also. So we finished the book chapter. You know, ever since everybody thinks I'm the expert of cardiac trauma. So when I went to Seattle, they always called me for all cardiac trauma because I wrote the book check. Uh Then first year passed and I applied for, I, I wanted to do ECHO. So I was the only guy who didn't apply for interventional cardiology. There were 12 of us and 10 applied for intervention. So Dr. Topol called me. He said, Samir, what's wrong? Why didn't you apply for, for the interventional spot? And there were only two spots. So I said, Dr. Topol, you know, I want to do the echo he said no 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 keep that as a hobby and just you know you do the cath lab you will have fun with me we will have a great time let's join so i said but you know there are two spots all these people want to do it i know they're my friends i don't like that you know that because i told everybody that i was going to do echo he said no come on you know there are two spots you just take one there is another one so we will uh, find the other one and dr Alice was the program director and uh he forgot to tell Dr. Ellis. So Dr. Alice interviews you, you know, for the interventional cardiology. He said, how come you don't have any references? Because I I just put application. He said, where else did you apply? I said, I really didn't apply anywhere else. So he said, this is not a good idea. You know, if you want to do intervention, then what if you don't get it? I said, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a problem. So I, I went to Dr. Topol after the interview. I said, Dr. Topol, Dr. Alice doesn't even know that I didn't apply anywhere else. He said, no, 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 I'll take care of it. So that was it. I joined Cleveland Clinic and he's again the mentor. So when somebody asked me that what are the reasons for success, is to find the right people, the right mentor, the right person that trusts you, that looks out for you, that takes care of you, right? Because he has no other interest. He just connects with me. Dr. Tuju, same way, connected with me. I had clinic with him. We are still. Till today, I talk to him all the time. And then I wanted to, he says stay at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Topol did. And I said that my wife wants to do ophthalmology and she wants to go to Seattle. So he said, yeah, then, you know, go to Seattle, but come back in three years after she finishes her residence. And he put it in his calendar that three years, so every 1st of June and 1st of January, I get 1st of July and 1st of January. I get an email from him that Samir, two and a half years left, two years left, one and a half years left, and then one year left. So he says, now it's one year left. Uh, I will come to Seattle. I said, why are you coming to Seattle? He says, no, no, I spent time with you. I want to find out what you want to do. So I took him to Mount Rainier, Lake Washington. I didn't know, you know what to do with Dr. Topol, but we had great time. And he sent me a contract next day that, you know, whatever he wrote, I wrote, no interviews, nothing. and he hired me and I came back to Cleveland. So, you know, where the training is, where you train, what is the international medical graduate or whatever graduates, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you have the best best mentors, best friends, and of course, you know, you work hard and there is no, no shortcut to that. There are a lot of smart people, a lot of people who are super nice, but the most important thing, I think, is to be transparent, work hard, and again, to write. You know, if you do something new, try to do something new every day. I try every day. So if you want to do something new, and then write it. So it is fun. You also get stimulated. So this was the this was the whole story. And same with Cat lab directorship. You know, Dr. Alice said, can you help me? And same with the chairman's job. You know, this was not not like my goal or anything close to that. Uh, So this was all one after the other opportunities that came, but at the same time, they were the right opportunities to work with the right people that I loved, that I I really trust, I enjoy. So this is how this whole journey comes to the chairman's job right now.
3: Wow, your journey is so inspirational, Dr. Thabadia. It's clearly marked by important pivots defined by key mentors. What I heard about you on my interview trail last year captures it really well. Dr. Doug Mann, the ex-chief of Washoe Cardiology, who was also your mentor, mentioned and I quote, Bema, in regards to my mentee, Samir, he has such more lives and careers than I ever will.
4: Oh, thank you so much. You know, and he's, uh, he's very dear to me. He used to invite me for all the Thanksgiving and Christmas at his home uh, because, you know, I was alone in Houston because he knows that I, I was working one time I faxed him something that, oh, I found some great things in the lab on a Thanksgiving day. So he said, what are you doing on Thanksgiving? Why are you working? So then he started inviting me to his house for uh, Thanksgiving to spend with his kids. So it was, he was a great mentor and he still is.
2: That's so amazing. Thanks for sharing that, and Dr. Kapadia, it's amazing to hear the story about your journey to intervention and how you almost ended up as a cardiac imager, which is crazy to think about you not being (laughs) the innovator that you are in the cath lab. And also how important it is for everyone to have a mentor, not only to give you advice, but those who recognize your strengths and sort of guide you to the best path accordingly. Um, I think that was an amazing story. So... Your work in outcomes research has been very meaningful and has changed the direction of cardiology, including some of the partner trials with your work on TAVR in high, intermediate, and low risk surgical groups. You've been an integral part of many of the mitral valve interventions, including MitraClip as part of the COAP trial, which has made its way into guidelines, finally approving it as a treatment strategy for functional mitral regurgitation. Structural cardiology is at a very interesting crossroad with several upcoming devices technologies for mitral, tricuspid, interatrial closure, and ventricular restoration procedures. And while we wait and watch for these interventions, we would love to hear your thoughts about future directions for structural interventions. And overall, where do you see the field of structural intervention in the next few years?
4: Thank you, Zarina. So so the structural intervention is, uh, is growing. You know, if you asked me during my fellowship, that I was interested in in valves, then we did mitral valvuloplasty. That was the largest uh, volume. And that was 40 cases in Cleveland Clinic per year. So we did 40 mitral valvuloplasties in the whole year in Cleveland Clinic. And that was higher. You know, some, some years were 20 to 30. And aortic valvuloplasty, we did from 1990 to 2005, 115 aortic valvuloplasty in Cleveland Clinic. Now we do every year, more than 150 pluses. So structural intervention has changed considerably. There is more than $4 billion investment in all different valve technologies in last two years or so. So there is tremendous amount of industry support to make the devices go to the next level. So a lot of investment. And a lot of people, a lot of smart people involved in different kinds of technologies, that also makes it possible to do these procedures in a scientifically rigorous way and at the same time report all different learnings that we do. So where do we stand? So if you are a young person, I think the valvular heart disease, so all, mitral stenosis, mitral regurgitation, aortic valve, because all these aortic valves that we placed, you know, we did 2,000 in the last three years at Cleveland Clinic aortic valve replacement. So all of these people are going to come back. They are going to come back with some kind of aortic valve stenosis. We have to treat them. We will have, you know, we are already doing mitral clips, but we have so many mitral valve replacement technologies that are coming. The main problem with the replacement technology is that they are not super safe. But now, with a lot of investment, a lot of effort, they have become safe. They are predictable. So this is another huge step forward in mitral valve replacement. Tricuspid valve, again, replacement is going to be one of the ways to treat tricuspid valve, and that is also becoming a reality. We did the first tricuspid valve replacement in Cleveland Clinic with Navigate Valve almost five years ago. And at that time, this was considered impossible. And the reason how we came to that was Dr. Navia and I, we were doing uh, some big experiments in China and doing mitral valve replacement with Navigate valve, not tricuspid, mitral. But just as we finished all these experiments, we said, okay, why don't we try it in the tricuspid, see if it works? And we tried in the pig, in the tricuspid, and the Navigate valve, worked beautiful. and then we kept the pig alive, and then we, the chronic pig looked good. So that's how all the process started, and then we did the first in man, and we went to FDA and said that we want to do it in the United States, and we could do it. So the field is evolving very, very fast. Inferior vena cava valves are becoming possible. Of course, the appendage closure, appendage-related things. There are several new heart failure technologies. So interventional heart failure is a brand-new subspecialty, brand-new subspecialty that is going to take off because the Encora device, even the carry device that we used initially for mitral regurgitation, now we are using in the Empower trial for mild mitral regurgitation. So mild, moderate, and severe all mitral regurgitation, we are going to use a carillon device in the coronary sinus. So the expansion of technologies is one part. The second is the indications. So we are going to move to moderate aortic stenosis. We are going to move to early tower. We are going to move to moderate mitral valve regurgitation moderate tricuspid regurgitation. So in your career, you are going to see treatment at an appropriate time, appropriate stage, prevention of the worst valvular heart disease in the future. So this is all becoming a reality. And most important of all is the imaging, because I tell people that the way structural intervention works is that just like surgery, you need to have good exposure. In structural intervention, you need to have good imaging to be able to see what exactly you're doing. And then all the instruments are such that the movement or precision of the instrument is already there. It is just that we cannot see as precisely as surgeon can see with the loops. So if you are able to see the structures precisely and carry out your maneuvering precisely, then there is no reason why you cannot do the same thing that you can do with the open procedure. So I think... Structural intervention is is an incredibly fast-growing field, but at the same time, very exciting, very interesting. And again, one thing to keep in mind that you should do things that you enjoy, not which has the most amount of scope, because I always tell people that at the top, you always have scope. So even if it looks like there is not enough scope, there is not enough job opportunity, you will always have job opportunity and scope if you reach the top. So if you are passionate and if you are hardworking, you will definitely get there. So this is a a new era that I think you will
0: enjoy. Thank you so much, Dr. Kapadia, for your valuable insights about the structural field in terms of the bird's eye view and what we should be excited for as we look towards the horizon. I hope you notice the sparkle in our eyes as the budding structural fellows are looking up to you. And Simrat, we're also looking at you, by the way, definitely consider it. But hearing your experiences as becoming an expert in cardiac trauma and your passion for Echo, I could see how you became a master in the structural domain. And thanks to trailblazers such as yourself, interventional cardiology as a field has grown exponentially over the last 10 years when it comes to expanding technologies, as we just heard about, to address lots of different pathology and even in the prevention space, which is really cool. There are some who avoid pursuing interventional cardiology as a career due to concerns about radiation exposure and occupational hazards of chronically wearing heavy lead, injecting manifolds, all sorts of, you know, things that people do worry about. What are your thoughts about this? And are there new technologies on the horizon to help the operators in terms of physical constraints placed on interventionalists? No, I agree with you. I think, uh, to be honest,
4: I'm, I feel bad because uh, I have some of these ill effects of for wearing a lead for a long time because, you know, the back bothers you, the neck can have problems. And at the same time, the radiation is not a trivial thing. So if you look at when we started the cath lab as I, like, you know, 2008, when we wanted to build a new heart center, one of the things that became very clear is that every year when we check our radiation, our radiation batches is where above the limit. So not a little bit above the limit. We were supposed to have 4,000 ramps and we were 11,000, 15,000. So they were saying that, you know, you have to stop doing the procedures, which we were not going to stop. But then we have to write, sign papers to say that this is too much radiation. We understand and we accept the risks. So this was such a a trauma to everyday life that, you know, this is, how can you live like this? You know, this is, and then new uh, data came out about the right-sided brain uh, meningiomas and gliomas that happen from radiation. So all of this is real. So you have to, first and foremost, you have to decrease the radiation. So you have to wear proper lead, eye protection. I always wear a lead cap, also wear the proper lead. In our cath lab, we changed a lot of things. So with radiation, we wrote several papers about this to say that how you can decrease the radiation. So you remember that the... Detector detects 120 nanograys typically, so it tries to increase the radiation until it gets 120 nanograys on the top. So we, we set it at 80 nanograys for example. Very important that we are also reducing the scene runs. We try to go down. So all the precautions that you can take for radiation, you should take. But despite that, if the radiation is there, then there are new technologies. You know there is there are several new technologies. So there's a zero lead, zero weight lead. There is a very nice lead shield that comes out of the detectors, such that it en- it encases the entire radiation, such that there is no scatter. All of these things are coming, but there is also going to be an ultrasound guided intervention, right? So there is like afib ablation right now in our Fairview Hospital. We are doing afib ablation without radiation, so there is zero radiation. They don't even radiate once for transeptal puncture, going through veins, all of these things can be done with echo. So ultimately, I'm hoping that we will have less and less radiation, more and more echo guided procedures so that we don't have to radiate ourselves. For the young people, I think if you use proper protection, you should not be scared, but at the same time, you should be super careful about radiation. Don't put your hands in the radiation. Don't do things like that. And- do not take it lightly either, because I think one of the challenges is that they, you do not see the radiation. So, you know, I tell people that's like a nuclear bomb there. So be be careful that don't go in the cath lab thinking that not a big deal, because uh, it is a big deal. And the lead, wearing the lead again, you know, doing proper exercises and things for the back and all those things are super important. So uh, all the international cardiologists and my friends who work like, me and others for 20, 30 years, they all develop back problems. They all develop neck problems. So it is not, not a minor consideration, but hopefully in the future, we will have better devices to help ourselves.
3: That's my interesting perspective and important safety considerations for us young cardiologists. On a different note, Dr. Kavaria, you've been a mentor to several medical students, residents, fellows, and earlier career faculty. And I have been lucky to see the great value you place on mentorship and development. I'm reminded of one of your mentees in particular, Dr. Shikhar Agarwal, who wrote a Jack editorial on Best Mentor, which outlines important attributes of a good mentor. This was a particularly special article since he was referring to his relationship with you. Did you have a particular mentor in your career who stands out, who's inspired you and supported you to become who you are today?
4: Yeah, no, I think so. And I think Dr. Topol is definitely one of them. Dr. Tushu is also, you know, Dr. Tushu is very, very important to me because not only just medical mentorship, but also life mentorship and guiding me through all the different opportunities that you have, all the hurdles you have. And then also, you know, all everybody, to be honest with you, Dr. Nissen, Dr. Alice, for example, all of them have contributed tremendously. To the different areas of mentorship of course you cannot forget you know your parents and uh, your friends because the colleagues that you work with are equally important right all the all the fellows that were international fellows with me that's why I wrote the textbook I wrote the textbook because all the fellows that were in our room I called them so one went to Argentina uh, he's the uh, director of cat lab there one, went to Canada in Montreal Heart, director of catholic there. Marco Raffi went to Switzerland and uh, director of catholic there. And uh, Derek Chu went to Australia. So I said, let us make a global textbook of cardiology where we will all be editors and uh, we can write a textbook. This is just purely for fun. And actually I talk, called Dr. Topol to say that, you know, I want to write a textbook. Of course, he writes the textbook that everybody reads so I, he's, I said that, you know, Dr. Topol, he said, yeah, you should write it. I said, it's not to, not to computer. I think it's just more fun, like how you're doing cardio nerd with all your friends. So the idea was that all these different editors would be a great fun. So we wrote a textbook and all of, so I called it a global textbook of cardiology because they were all in different continents. And, uh, so learning from the, from the colleagues is not trivial. And uh, finally, I think learning is a is a is a long process, and mentors outside of your institution are also important. So, you know, all the different people that I work with, I learn something from them all the time. And don't I never compete with anybody? So this is a this is another good thing to do is to collaborate with all different institutions, all different people. So that is the best way of learning because then people trust you, people will share with you, and you can learn more. So mentorship is a giving and taking. Whatever you like the most, you give it to your mentee, then you are a good mentor. And if you are a mentee, if you ask for anything that the mentor likes the most, if there's the best paper he's going to write, then he should make you the first author. So that is, a, that is the best test to say that this mentor is really a mentor that uh, you would want to have.
1: Yeah, Dr. Kapadia, I'm picking a couple of takeaways from that answer. One is that your particular interventional fellowship class was an amazing class. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to try to figure out what you guys did. But also that you had several mentors in different domains and you were just a sponge to take whatever lessons you could from people around you. And I think that that's something that we, we can all emulate. Now, turning to an area that is really important to me personally Despite all of the married responsibilities that you have in your day-to-day, you continue to be actively involved in fellow and resident education. Not surprisingly, you've received several recognitions, including Best Teacher Awards by the general and international fellows alike. But despite your long list of commitments as a chief, you still take out time to teach us in every domain, the cath lab, the OR, the clinic, and your conference, and more. And I, I have to give a special shout out to the Heart Dissection That you led us through that morning when, you know, you got the reps to bring these pig hearts and you walked us through your own particular way of dissecting a pig heart and correlating it with echo and angio and CT. And it was just honestly, the probably one of the best visuals I had about understanding the 3D structure. So, you know, but that was, I think we started at six o'clock in the morning before, you know, one of your tavern days in the OR. So like, that's a commitment. What drives you to spend so much of your time and energy for learners?
4: No, the most important is that I find myself uh, extremely lucky. I tell everybody every day that I'm very grateful. And the reason I'm grateful is because I have the opportunity to work at Cleveland Clinic. You know, Cleveland Clinic, as you know, is one of the best places to work. But we have the opportunity. Many, many people do not have this opportunity. So if you are going to have this opportunity, we are going to use it to the maximum. So I say that, you know, we have everything except for time. So I want to make most use of the time that we have. Young people, young cardiologists. So the only way to multiply your enthusiasm, multiply what you do, is to instill something good to the young people. Because if you train 10 people, 10 staff, and if all after 10, at least three of them do uh, what you want to do but you cannot do because of lack of time, you will be able to do all those things that you could not do because of restriction in time. So the motivation is to have fun, see people enjoy, people share the excitement that you have, because otherwise you will become dull. You, I don't know, and you know, I enjoy it so much. It's relaxing. And more than anything else, it is also you know fulfilling because when you go out, when you go to the conferences, there's so many fellows come to you and say that they did this, that, something new. And that is, that to me, it's not that what we taught them, but what they did beyond we taught them is the most fun part to me. So I think the excitement of doing something new, something learning from young people, uh, learning their ways of doing things, you know, like learning from you that how to uh, disseminate knowledge, how to do all these uh, cardio nerd activities that you do. That's what I was asking you and Dan, and how do you find time to do it? It's the same, same concept that if it is your passion, you always find time and you enjoy it you don't feel tired after what you did you rather will feel that my god you know this was i wish i could do more so this is the this is the same concept uh, that uh, all of us uh, enjoy what we do so keep doing that
2: that's great dr kapadia kind of along the same lines and thinking about the future generations of interventional cardiologists we As a program, we're lucky to have a diverse interventional cardiology program where three out of the eight fellows are women. As a leader in interventional cardiology, what measures do you think we could take to sort of close this gap even further?
4: You are absolutely right that we need to to work very focused and in a very collaborative way. Most important thing is to encourage medical students to join cardiology. So, I think this is one of the most important things. And then second is, when we select the residents to become fellows, again, keep an eye out to have a diverse fellowship with more, you know, equal number of men, women. And then finally, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, myths about what can be done by men and women. So this has to be overcome. As you said that, you know, some people are worried about the radiation, some people worried about the lifestyle, some people are worried. But all of those things can be adjusted to what you want to do, depending on your passion. So it is not necessary that everybody has to do the same thing. Everybody has to work 18 hours in the cath lab a day to become, you know, feel good about themselves. You can do focused interventions that you love, you enjoy, you help people, and at the same time you can enjoy life. You can have a very good uh, family life also. So this is all. All possible, if we plan in a way that we plan our life in an organized manner, then this is possible. So what we are trying to do, at at least at Cleveland Clinic, is to learn from each other, set up some examples that how we can have diversity in our program and we do not compromise the health, happiness, and productivity of our, our department. And we have, to be honest with you, we have increased our productivity by increasing diversity. We attract more talent to join us when we have opportunities uh, that are available for all uh, different people. So diversity is our, our focus. And this is the way we can, we can potentially do even better.
0: So Dr. Kapadia, as we said earlier, your perspective on future directions in the field has really energized Metzarina, Simra, and myself. And your passion for medical education is something that resonates with us profoundly at Cardinerts. We just have to ask you, what makes your heart flutter most about interventional cardiology or life in general?
4: I enjoy to go and work with the young fellows and also spend time with my kids because uh, this is one thing that I, I get to do less so the most important thing I also of course enjoy everything I do but I also you know wish that I have a little bit more time with the family and the kids so and I also do research with the kids their science projects and all these things also excites me so we do all kinds of uh, crazy science projects so these are all all fun things that I do and I also enjoy astronomy so astronomy is my passion so hopefully when I retire Uh, I'll do some uh, astronomy and astrophysics very soon uh, when when time comes.
0: (laughs) Dr. Kapati, I gave my children um, a swan GANS catheter and like a balloon pump. And they came to school with syringes and everything like that. And I got a note from the teacher. Please do not send medical equipment with your children. (laughs) So I I tried
4: it. I have a good story. So I go to the school. To teach them how to tower and how to put stents in the pig heart, so I, I take all the equipment, including the tower valves and these balloon stents, wires, and sixth and seventh grade students. We work together, and in the corridor area, we put a stand, and then I give them the stents and the balloons and the wires. So the clean ones. So the, the parents call me and say that, my God, you know, they all want to be doctors. What are you trying to do? Because these are all the uh, you know, kids that probably would become business people or something more exciting than just being a doctor. And the, I brought these second and third grade kids to our echo lab, not second, first and second grade. And uh, I said that, let, us, let me show you how the heart is beating. Let me show your heart. So the kids started crying. They thought that I was going to cut them or something because it was dark. And uh, I said, let me show you how your heart is beating. So they started crying. I said, my God, what happened? Why are you crying? They said, we don't want to be hurt. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to hurt. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to hurt you. And so my son came out and he says, okay, you know, you can show my heart. And uh, so he says, daddy would not hurt me. So that's how uh, he felt confident that I, I won't hurt him. So anyway, the the kids are the fun part. So
1: the the sixth grade class, they're all going to become doctors. The first grade class are all going to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm glad you mentioned that, Dr. Kapladia, because, you know, of course, we don't have time to talk about everything. But when Simrath and Serena and I, we went to table 45 to kind of plan this discussion and the topic of your relationship with your kids came up. And, you know, Serena was saying, she's like, you know, like whenever he starts talking about his kids, he has this you know, sparkle in his eyes. It's a very special relationship. And, yeah,
2: I loved you know, hearing so. your story about dropping him off to Yale.
4: <laughs> I, you know, I I felt uh, sorry, but it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's coming back tonight, tomorrow night for the first time from college. So you will yeah. go all get there. You know, when the kids go to college, you know, it is tough. You know, I'm sure when you went to college, your parents, and he, by the way, he and he's enjoying it, just like you guys did. You know, it's the parents who feel it. That I'm waiting for him to come back. He's not waiting to come. So,
1: uh, <laughs> well, uh, truly, this has been such a treat. Thank you to each of you so much. And I want to first thank Simra. You know, Simra, we, we first worked together when you were my resident in J31, our beloved CICU. And from day one, it was so clear that you are a rising star. And when you were applying here and we were recruiting, I was, I have to say, I was your biggest champion and cheerleader. And it's such a, a great thing that we get to learn alongside each other now. And Serena, you know, your leadership along the series and support has been incredible. And I think it's one of the main reasons why the series has really taken off. And I'm excited to uh, learn everything that we learned from this and, you know, everything that you're doing to study it. And finally, Dr. Kapadia, having you on Cardiners is just such an honor for us. I said it earlier, but I mean, it. this is months overdue and I hope this is not the last time. And you know, for everyone who works with you and learns from you, you lead by example, you set a very high bar for us to aspire to, but at the same time, you support us and encourage us and mentor us so we can hopefully get there uh, someday. So thank you so much for not just being here, but being uh, a mentor to all of us.
4: Pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine. And uh, keep up this great work. Uh, We are very proud of this. Simrat and Zarina, thank you so much for doing this great work. And Dan and Amit, keep this up. because This is just incredible work. Thanks.
5: Hello, this is Dr. Canny Graywall. I'm the Governor of Ohio ACC chapter. I want to thank the Cardio Nerds team for including me in today's session. I also want to thank Dr. Samir Kapadia for his contributions, not just to the Cardio Nerds episode today, but to the field of cardiac care here in Ohio. Hearing his story about his journey from India all the way to the U.S. to becoming a preeminent subspecialist in cardiac care in Ohio kind of reminded me of the story of one of my mentors. She went to medical school in the 1960s in India, it was one of the first female students at her medical school. And after uh, graduating, emigrating to the U.S. in the late 60s, had to repeat her entire residency here to establish a career in the U.S., was actually the only female resident at the University of Cincinnati when she was there in the early 1970s to the point where they actually had to give her a patient call room to use for overnight calls since the entire call area was reserved for men. That physician was my mom, Dr. Rajdev Graywall, who's now retired after a long career in psychiatry. And it's just a reminder to me about how grateful we are for American medicine being so inclusive for all of our clinicians coming from all over the world, which was reinforced by Dr. Kapadia as well. But we still have so much more work to do to create, especially in cardiology, a cardiovascular community that's diverse and reflects the breadth and diversity of our patient population. And that's the goal of our chapter here in Ohio. I want to just give one example of what we're doing to try to Bridge that gap here in Ohio, we created a spotlight on women in cardiology. This is a, uh, a page on our uh, Ohio ACC website. It includes biographies of female cardiologists throughout our state from every corner fellows, attendings, researchers, clinicians, even advanced practitioners. We're just trying to create some uh, role models and mentors for medical students and residents here to try to promote more gender diversity. In our cardiac workforce and we include biographies and uh, even social media handles for these clinicians and and we're growing this all the time you're welcome to check it out at ohioacc.org in the meantime there's so much more work to do we're working on other programs and initiatives to meet these goals i'd like to encourage anyone here in Ohio to come to OhioACC.org. You can interact with our chapter leadership. You can learn more about some of these programs as well. And so once again, thank you for this narratives and cardiology series. It's really doing a, a tremendous job. And thanks for focusing on Ohio today and, and good luck in your future episodes as well. Thank you.